0: I'm going to spend um, both uh, this morning and then this evening in the Psalms. There are two Psalms that I've selected that we'll consider together. This morning, Psalm 100, and then tonight we'll be uh, spending time with Psalm 24. So this morning as we come to Psalm 100, um, it's going to draw our attention to something that is uh, foundational to Christian life and that's uh, an activity, an activity that defines us as God's people. It's corporate, uh, gathered worship, public worship. It's what we do uh, Sunday morning, what we're sharing in today, that opportunity for us to come and gather with God's people and join our voices and our hearts in worship and praise. It's an invitation, invitation to worship. Follow along as I read uh, Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would bless your word as we consider it together this morning, that you would speak to us through it, that you would uh, encourage our hearts and cause us to have a greater love, love for these gatherings where we can worship corporately with other believers. So we commit this time around your word into your hands. Use it for our good. And may you be glorified in it, in Christ's name. Amen. I was uh, raised in a family where church was uh, a non-negotiable in terms of attendance. We, we had to attend. Um, no matter what the weather was like, and I was born and raised in northern Michigan, and there were some Sundays that uh, the weather was not that inviting the the snow was deep and dad would go out and have to uh, uh, heat a key the car key and in order to get it into the lock and unlock the door so we could all four kids pile into the car and uh, go to church mom and dad they just love to they love to gather with god's people Um, twice on sunday every Wednesday night. There were also these additional meetings that we would attend. There were fellowship meetings where we would gather with other congregations from adjacent cities. I remember those because they were all-day affairs. Uh, It was a a long day for us. And uh, there were big meals. That was always uh, an attraction, large meals. And then a uh, fairly long and extended evening service. And those happen probably every month or so. Uh, we also uh, would attend, um, attend the camp meetings in the summer. I don't know if you folks have those. Uh, I uh, have not received an invitation to a camp meeting, but every summer there were camp meetings. They were two weeks long. And uh, we would go, and sometimes we would stay there. Other times we would drive back and forth. But Mom and Dad would get us into the car, and off we'd go. And uh, there was preaching every night. The afternoon they had a teacher, Bible teacher. And then the evenings was an evangelistic kind of service. And uh, you had the more, the more reserved preacher in the afternoon and you had the fiery, uh, very uh, animated preacher in the evening. Um, There were those meetings. There were uh, youth camps that we would attend and revival meetings that we go to. So we were thoroughly steeped in church and gathering and joining others for worship for mom and dad. Church worship gatherings were important, and they were engaged in eagerly. I wonder wonder if this resonates with you, uh, that you're eager to gather for worship, uh, that your attitude toward these opportunities to worship is one that's positive, that you find it to be something you look forward to all through the week. That I'm going to be able to gather with God's people, my friends, my fellow pilgrims, on Sunday. And I'm going to be with them Sunday morning. And then again close the evening with them, expressing worship, having fellowship, encouraging one another in the faith. I wonder if we understand that this is essential And it's essential to our spiritual well-being. We need to be in church. Now, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. The ones who need to hear the sermon are not here. But I've found something. I don't know if if you've um, found this to be true as you get older. That gathering for worship is more precious all the time. And it's... um, Something that I'm realizing I need desperately. I need to sit under the gospel being preached every Sunday. And um, it's something I look forward to very much through the week. To be able to gather. I wonder if we approach, if we approach our worship with a sense of joyful Christian duty or do you find that uh, it's an intrusion um, it's, it's a disruption it's something that keeps you from doing what you really want to do on a Sunday and there's some that this is the case. Uh, you know what i found and uh, I, I think elders and pastors can relate to this i found that people do what they want to do. And um, one of the hardest tasks of pastoring for me was counseling couples, married couples, couples in trouble. Because what I found is they do what they want to do. And you counsel, and then they go and do just what they plan to do. Occasionally they'll take some counsel. But when that gets applied to our Sunday worship, where I just find myself wondering, should I go or should I go? Should not go on a particular Sunday, that that should be a good indicator to you. We need to get before God and say, Lord, please give me, give me a love for the church, and love for worship. Now hopefully, this psalm, this psalm will help us properly order our attitude toward worship. I wanna make some, uh, just some general observations before uh, we look more closely at the text. First, in terms, in terms of the psalms, structure. This psalm consists of two hymns, uh, each of which includes a call to worship and then an affirmation. What this suggests is that a biblical call to worship is always tied to an understanding of who God is, of what what God is like. Worship uh, Worship carries theological implications. In other words, we're called to worship, and we're called to worship the true God, the only God, the God who is revealed in the Bible. Now, it's it's crucial, critical, that our worship not be misdirected, that it not be directed to a false god, not engaged within the framework of a false religious system, because then we would be engaged in idolatry, which is a serious, serious sin against God and a violation of the first commandment. Rather, our worship is to be a response to truth, to truth with a capital T, the truth of the Bible. And this is why the call to worship in the Psalms, and these particular calls, two calls to worship, in Psalm 100 are tied to affirmations of biblical understanding. We're to worship only the God who's revealed himself in scripture. Also, there's a sense in which this psalm is uh, a creed. It's a statement of what we believe to be true. There are six creedal statements in the psalm. Verse 3, the Lord is God. In other words, the Lord, Yahweh, the self-existent one, the only God. He's the one we're to worship. What this does is establish the radical idea of monotheism that there's one God, only one. And he's the only God that's to be worshiped and praised and served. And then the second line in verse 3 it is he who made us. God's the creator. God's the source and sustainer of our lives. We're we're dependent on Him for everything. And third, we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Our self-understanding is determined by our understanding of our relationship with God. We're creatures. We belong to Him. And we're Accountable to him. And then in verse 5, we have three references to God's character. The Lord is good, his love endures forever, and his faithfulness extends to all generations. So this psalm has a creedal feel to it, it's very confessional in nature. We worship God. We praise God because of who he is. Now, there's a, a final general observation to be made, and that is that this, there's a strong possibility that this psalm was part of a liturgy uh, that was used on major days of worship at the temple. Uh, this accounts for its structure The fact that we have have two hymns here. Uh, Two similar hymns sung antiphonally by two choral groups. And one is positioned outside the temple gate. And the other is positioned inside the temple gate. The The first group sings the first hymn. And they sing it outside the gate. And they sing this, verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. In other words, Yahweh is God of all nations, not just Israel. Worship the Lord. Make a joyful noise to Him. Come into His presence. Serve Him with gladness. Come into his presence and come into his presence with singing. This is a call to worship. And then we have this affirmation, verse 3. Know, acknowledge, confess that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his, we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. In response, now that's the choir outside. It's hard to visualize, but it has to be a dramatic moment. And then in response, we have the uh, choir inside the temple, and they sing the second hymn. First, The call. Enter his gates. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. This is then followed by a confessional element, an affirmation, verse 5 For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness. To all generations. Now, this pattern, this structure, we're going to see also in Psalm 24 tonight. So uh, you'll see this this, uh, shared sort of structure between the two of them. What we have in this psalm is a, a beautifully orchestrated invitation into worship, it's formal. It's structured, it's well-executed, and it, uh, it conveys a spirit of joy and eagerness in worship. Invited to come into the temple, into the presence of God, and worship. And it's a joyful invitation. Let's now consider the content of uh, these two hymns. The first hymn, underscores uh, three things. The spirit in which we're to worship, the results of our worship, and the reason for our worship. These form the how, what, and why of worship. The spirit, the the, the how um, of our worship, is described by three words in verses 1 and 2. Joyful gladness, and singing. There's there's eagerness here. There's joy here. There's, there's beauty here. Worship is an expression of our godly passion, our love for the Lord, our desire to know Him better, a sense that we have uh, an obligation to give Him praise. Now, there's a key word in verse 2 that needs to be uh, noted I think and it's the verb serve it's a it's a technical verb used in reference to the service to God that's offered in public worship it speaks of worship expressed uh, through liturgy and, and religious ritual it's Formalized expressions of corporate praise. So what we're doing here this morning is this kind of serving. Serving the Lord in our worship. The word uh, identifies the topic then of discussion that's here in the psalm. The psalmist isn't talking about the service or kind of worship we offer to God through our acts of mercy when we uh, do good to others, nor is it uh, a reference to the service that we give through the use of our ministry gifts as we encourage each other in the faith or um, we uh, get alongside and we we strengthen one another and comfort one another. It's not that kind of service. Nor is it worship that's expressed through an obedient moral life. As important as these uh, whole of life worships, forms, and expressions are, what we have here is a worship that takes place within the context of this corporate gathering. It's vital public worship. And we're called to give to God. It's a form of service. Serving God with gladness. Listen, um, every time we gather with other Christians, every time we we join our hearts and our voices in, in corporate praise, we're serving God in a very important way. I wonder, Do we, do you, do you see public worship as an important form of giving service to God? Understanding that it's something you should commit yourself to doing on a regular basis, week after week. Now if not, I want you to please hear the call of of this psalm, call to public worship to Sabbath worship, to Lord's Day worship. Now, worship, from a biblical perspective, is to be marked by by joy and gladness. It's not dependent on happiness, which tends to be superficial, tends to pass very quickly, nor is it dependent on emotional stirrings, Even though I'm sure you've had this experience, that in the context of a worship service, you've been moved emotionally. There's been a a very keen sense of God's presence moving and, and working in your heart. As you sit or stand, sing hymns, praise God together, pray together, you just sense that God's here and it moves you emotionally I can remember moments um, early in my Christian life when I was in seminary um, one of the habits I developed because of the example of an older student was to set aside some time to pray every day and I uh, there was a place on campus called uh, Cabin Hill, and it was a place where during the camp meetings in the summer, uh, people could stay in these little barren cabins. And I was working on the grounds crew at that time, and about four o'clock in the afternoon every day, I would hear this fellow student praying loudly up on Cabin Hill. And I said to myself, you know, he was a senior, and I said, when he leaves, I'm gonna take his spot. And every day around four o'clock, just before dinner, I'd go there. I can remember pacing from one end of the hill to the other, worshiping the Lord, and at times just having this overwhelming sense of God's presence, being stirred emotionally. No doubt you've had similar experiences. Or you've come to service on a Sunday morning like this, maybe not feeling that that well. And as you sing, you sense the Spirit of God just to settle on you. What a comfort it is. What an encouragement it is. This can be and is the nature of corporate worship, We should enter in joyfully and gladly. There's always and should be this element of eagerness associated with public worship. When we think about gathering with God's people to worship, we're joyful, we're glad we're not reluctant not not feeling put upon but rather we're like the psalmist uh, who writes i would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of the house of god with glad shouts and songs of praise there, there's eagerness eagerness here there's joy there's gladness here there's there's expectancy in that statement. Is, is this how you approach Sunday worship? Hans Litzman, in his book, The Foundation, The Founding of the uh, Church Universal, writes this line, and it really stood out to me. The heart of Christian life is to be found in the act of public worship. That's at the heart of it. Well, we've considered the, the how question. <clears throat> Let's now briefly think about the what question. What's the benefit? What's to be gained um, by gathering for corporate worship? What's special about these these gatherings? Let's you look look again at verse two. Come into His presence with singing. You can put in bold print, into His presence. There's a a unique kind of coming into God's presence when we gather to worship on Sunday, the Lord's Day. Now, this certainly isn't to suggest that we're ever out of God's presence because we're not. You remember, Paul uh, says in his sermon, Mars Hill. He says, "It is in Him that we live and move and have our being. We're always in the presence of God, day in and day out. And yet, there's something about this hour that's set aside, and we gather with God's people. That's special." We come into his presence. There's an environment that's created by corporate worship gatherings in which uh, the Holy Spirit just abides and moves using the word preached to convict, comfort, to encourage those who attend. This is the unique what? What? of corporate worship, it's the self-conscious presentation of ourselves to God. Very conscious that I have come to this place to present myself to the Lord and to come into His, His presence. It's an amazing privilege. What then is the why? Of corporate worship the answer to this question is found in verse 3 know that the Lord he is God it is he who made us and we are his we are his people and the sheep of his pasture the answer to the why question is, is very straightforwardly put we're to worship Because the Lord is God. He's our creator. He made us. We belong to him. We're his people and we're the sheep of his pasture. The the point is, when we understand who God is and uh, who we uh, are in relation to, then we we understand that he's the only proper object of worship and praise. He's God. He's God. He's the infinite, self-existent one, and we're man, the created ones. We're finite. We're dependent. We're contingent beings. And God is the one necessary being from which all other things come. We're the douloi, the servants, the slaves, and He's the master. When we understand the relationship, it stirs us to worship. And to praise him and him alone. The very nature of our relationship tells us that we should worship him. What I've discovered, and I think um, throughout the scripture and this psalm is trying to underscore, is that there is oughtness in the relationship there's there's duty embodied in the relationship and when we truly understand this we'll be eager to worship him and him alone let's finish let's finish by taking a quick look at the second hymn it's structured the same as the first verse four is a call to worship and verse five is an affirmation we're to enter God's presence with thanksgiving and praise. Notice the line. Enter his, his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Why? Because God is good, loving, and faithful. So, so our worship is a response. It's a response to the unchanging character of God. And it's to be filled with thanksgiving. Ultimately, our our worship is grounded in our understanding of of what God is like. uh, Who He is, as He's revealed in in the Bible, in Scripture. This means that our worship's not circumstantial. We're, uh, We're to worship, even in the tough times... I've observed uh, after a little over, well, over 50 years of ministry, I've observed the tendency of some to pull away from church and to uh, withdraw from public worship when things go wrong in life, when tragedy strikes. Uh, It's at these moments, really, at these moments that we have a... We have a very basic and important choice to make. We can either hold tightly to the biblical witness that God is good, that God is loving, that God is faithful, or we can turn our backs for a time and question that. Or we can hold tightly to the scripture. And not allow ourselves to, to follow uh, a path that is absolutely tragic. And it, uh, it does distort our understanding of God's character. It's hard. It's challenging. We dare not refuse to worship in the tough times because that's going to crush us. We have to serve Him and worship Him during those very difficult seasons in life and they'll always they're going to come so so what the psalmist is saying is that our worships not determined by the conditions of our lives but rather by what the bible says about god and what god is like and this can be extremely challenging Especially when the circumstances of life seem to be saying that God doesn't care. I wonder if you've experienced that. You feel abandoned. There's no sense of God's presence. There's nothing around you in the exterior parts of your life that suggests that he's there. That he does, in fact, love you. Everything in the circumstances seems to be saying that he doesn't care. Where's the goodness of God in this battle with cancer? Where's the love and the faithfulness of God in the untimely death of a loved one? Listen. It's only as we look beyond our circumstances and worship the Lord for who he is that we can find this stable reference point keeps our lives oriented in the right the right way. We look through we look through the losses, we look through the pain and we still worship Say, Lord, you, you are good. When we understand, I think, that our goal in life is to live for God's glory, then we'll worship, and we'll worship in all the circumstances of our lives. Perhaps you're in a tough time. I encourage you to worship the Lord and praise him for his goodness and his love and his faithfulness. The psalm then uh, invites us into God's presence. It appeals us to us to not neglect the assembling of ourselves together for the purpose of worshiping him. And we're to worship him eagerly because of who he is. He's our God. He's our, he's our maker. And he's always good, and he's always loving, and he's always faithful. It's an invitation into this privilege that we're we're sharing today. And just worshiping God. We're in his presence. Let's pray. Father. <coughs> life gets tough at times and it's really difficult and challenging when there there doesn't seem to be any sense of your presence. No indication that you care for us in the midst of our troubles. But Lord, may we look past the circumstances as hard as that is to do And uh, confess and affirm your goodness and faithfulness, affirm your love for us, and worship you. Just to worship you for who you are. That never changes. So fill our hearts and our minds today with a great appreciation for you, a devotion to Christ. May we serve you and recognize that part of our service is to worship you week after week, corporately, with other believers, because that will strengthen us and uh, help us remain um, stable. Thank you, Lord, and to serve you. Refresh us today, I pray. Encourage our hearts and strengthen and deepen our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.